challenges facing the country's water infrastructure are immense. By one estimate, between 14 and 18 percent of treated drinkable water is lost in the United States every day through leaks, with some water systems experiencing water loss of more than 60 percent due to pipes that in some cases are more than 100 years old. And despite the immense need for investment in this vital aspect of our society, federal dollars until recently to rebuild water infrastructure have declined, which puts more and more pressure on local governments and water suppliers to fill the gap. I'm Jeff Sabo, Chief Executive Officer of the Suffolk County Water Authority, welcoming you to the latest edition of our podcast, What About Water? The bad news is there is indeed an urgent need to invest in the systems all around the country that provide safe drinking water to tens of millions of Americans. The good news is the federal government is stepping up to meet the challenge. As you'll learn in a couple of minutes, the federal government is making money available for this purpose more now so than ever. It is, as one of our guests will know, truly water's moment. Today, we're going to talk to experts from the United States Environmental Protection Agency about the availability of funds for water infrastructure and how it will be invested. We'll also cover other key topics, including the ongoing effort to replace lead service lines and the EPA's ambitious effort to regulate one of the most pressing contaminant threats in the country, the threat to health caused by PFAS chemicals. So joining us today... We have two guests from the Environmental Protection Agency. The first, Aisha Sexton-Sims, PhD, Supervisor, State Revolving Fund Program Section for US, uh, U.S. EPA Region 2. And Darina Alu, PE, Chief Drinking Water and Groundwater Protection Section. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure, and thanks for having us. Um, it's great to be here to talk about uh, water infrastructure financing and the role that EPA has. So this is such an exciting time uh, for large drinking water providers like the Suffolk County Water Authority that serves over 1.2 million customers here uh, in New York uh, because we are uh, able to access uh, federal funding through the EPA to uh, make a difference, right? And and and, and historically, we have, um, we have done infrastructure and water treatment programs uh, the last several years that were primarily paid for through our customers and our, uh, the revenues we receive from our customers. Uh, maybe there's some state funding. Um, certainly there's been an increase in that, but we're here because there's so much federal dollars available. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the money that, that's available and some of the purposes that uh, that we plan to spend the money on or some of the projects we hope to spend the money on? Uh, sure, Jeff. I mean, as as you said, this is a historic moment in time. It's it's water's moment, if you will. Um, you know, at this point, we we know that the um, the regular sort of state revolving fund programs um, have been uh, around for quite a bit of time. The clean water or wastewater. Uh, state revolving fund programs started 35 years ago, and the drinking water fund uh, began around 25 years ago. Uh, but this moment is historic because it's the single largest investment in water that the federal government has ever made. And as we all know, water is the key to life and uh, the systems that convey our water, whether it's drinking water, 
stormwater or wastewater, they often go unseen and therefore unattended to until there's a problem. Uh, in addition, it's very expensive uh, to upgrade or repair, replace water infrastructure. So our water infrastructure systems across the nation um, are aging and in many cases exceeding their useful life um, that they were designed for. And these sorts of issues lead to failing systems and the public health concerns. Uh, but this large installment of funds through the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, is funding infrastructure projects above and beyond our regular uh, state revolving fund programs with several key priorities um, in the use of these funds. So number one, of course, is to protect public health and safety uh, by providing clean drinking water and treating our wastewater uh, to be safely released into the environment. Um, another key priority is to ensure that disadvantaged communities benefit equitably from this investment. In fact, just to get into a little bit into the law itself, it mandates that 45, 49% of the drinking water SRF uh, general fund and uh, the lead service line capitalization grants be provided as grants and forgivable loans to disadvantaged communities. And 100% of the emerging contaminant bill funds will be provided as grants and forgivable loans. Um, so those are the main, you know, additions uh, of, that the bipartisan infrastructure law adds to onto the SRF funding. We have this this general fund, uh, and then we have the lead service line replacement funding, um, as well as the emerging contaminants uh, funding. Um, again, and and. To, to emphasize why this is our moment, this is water's moment, um, as we repair and replace the infrastructure, we have a great opportunity here uh, to design and implement projects using climate resilient technologies. We're building systems that can withstand severe, you know, severe weather challenges, um, further protecting our, our health and safety. And then lastly, I'll, I'll mention um, why this is our moment. Uh, this funding is also benefiting uh, the workforce um, by creating good paying jobs with all the work that's needed to be done. And, and it's quite a bit of work, Jeff. Well, I, I appreciate that. That, that sermon, you did such a fine job sort of um, putting that all together and explaining that in terms that I think our, our listeners will clearly understand. Uh, I think one of the things that that we always try to stress with our customers is every dollar we get from the EPA, right, is a dollar that a dollar less the date that our customers need to come up with to make these so these very important infrastructure improvements, uh, whether it's on the treatment side or just aging infrastructure that needs to be repaired or replaced. And uh, because there's so much assistance coming from the EPA through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, this is really a unique opportunity for us to be as aggressive as possible in trying to get the funding that's needed and then put it in place with, with specific projects in our area. And I know we've been for years, I think outside of New York City, the Suffolk County Water Authority has been the, 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 the top recipient from state revolving fund monies uh, outside of the city on the drinking water side. And mm -hmm. I think that um, we're certainly, we may pester you a little bit, we might be in frequent contact, but hopefully, uh, hopefully you appreciate it because we're gonna try to get every dollar we can. 
I mean, I mean, that's what we're, we're whole, we partner together, right? We're a partnership. And so we all come together um, to utilize these funds and they're there uh, for that particular use. And, the, you know, the drinking, the drinking water state revolving fund is, is already known um, for providing low cost financing um, by providing low and no interest uh, loans. Um, some of the other ways that the program keeps the rates, you know, low um, would be by providing extended term financing. Um, there's also a portion of the financing uh, that goes out as grants. Um, so because we're able to lower the total project costs there, certainly the, the rate payers uh, benefit from that. The benefits are transferred to yeah. the ratepayers. Can you talk a little bit about um, specifically the funding that's available for for um, our service territory here in New York, Long Island? Uh, yes, actually, well, through the bill, um, you know, as I mentioned, we have the base SRF fund that um, is there and, and the eligible recipients for that are the public water systems, you know, uh, both municipal and privately owned um, community systems. Um, and so that, that base funding, you know, provides the types of projects, in other words, that the base funding will support are the treatment upgrades, the transmission distribution upgrades, uh, storage tanks, and, and even planning and design. And so with the, with the bill, uh, the pot, the the pot of money called the general supplemental is is what it called. It's called. It actually um, further supports the base. So there are projects that are eligible under the general supplemental that are also the same projects are eligible under the base. Uh, but then with Bill, we also have uh, the emerging contaminants and lead service line uh, capitalization grants. Um, and so the emerging contaminants grants uh, will address PFAS and other emerging contaminants. And the lead service line capitalization grant will fund projects to help identify uh, and remove uh, lead from our drinking water systems. You had mentioned the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund. Could you talk a little bit more about the EPA's role in administering that program? So just to define what the program is, uh, it's a federal state partnership uh, designed to create in each state um, a perpetual source of financing. Um, in this case, uh, for your listeners, for drinking water infrastructure. Uh, and the mission of the state revolving fund is to reduce the cost of critical public health and environmental infrastructure. And I would say the EPA's main role is to award these funds as capitalization grants uh, to our state partners. And we also provide the programmatic oversight and guidance to assist the states to manage the programs and get the funds to where they're needed most. Um, the states run the day-to-day -day operation of the programs. They use their own scoring system to rank projects based on state water quality priorities. And the states also develop um, intended use plans which includes the list of priority projects that are eligible for funding each year. Um, the states also develop the financing packages uh, for each project. 
So that I just wanted to explain a little bit about our roles there. You know, our EPA's main role there is to award the capitalization grant, but the state essentially runs the program. And then as far as, um, you know, your listeners and, and the role that the communities can play, um, very important role um, that the communities can play by providing feedback on the state's intended use of the funds. And so they normally provide a public comment period, um, which is initiated, you know, prior to the release of the intended use plans. So we all have an important role to play in addressing our, our water infrastructure needs. How is the EPA helping disadvantaged communities access the money that is out there so that communities aren't left behind? Um, at EPA, actually, we work very closely uh, with the state partners um, to you know, sort of provide technical assistance uh, to those communities. Because first things first, you know, a lot of times, you know, they haven't really had access um, to the funds um, or just don't have the capacity um, to apply for the funds. Um, and so we at EPA are actually providing um, technical assistance uh, to help the disadvantaged communities uh, identify uh, their needs, first of all, and and then gain access to the funding. So, you know, we can provide more information about that, but we, you know, on our website, we do provide, you know, the different mechanisms or the different types of technical assistance um, that we're able to provide. Um, but we identify water, we help them to identify their water challenges. We um, help to develop plans, um, um, and build technical, financial, and uh, managerial capacity, um, and and also um, help them to develop application materials, you know, to access the funding. So it, there's a great need there with all of this money. Um, you know, some some communities, you know, they have the resources and they're able to, you know, get assistance with applying for these grants. But we realize that that you know, that's a great, a really large problem why, you know, the disadvantaged, commu the disadvantaged communities don't really have uh, the same access. Um, and so we want to provide that through our uh, build technical assistance programs. So that's, that's really one of the keys to, to the bill funding is it, that came right along with the bill, bill funding is uh, this ability for us to provide technical assistance and then work very closely with the states um, who are more on the local level to identify those communities who who haven't received a SRF funding before. Um, and maybe they don't know about SRF funding. So we have um, a large efforts here to to outreach um, to the communities and let them know about this funding. And that's why we appreciate you so much for inviting us uh, to the podcast to, to talk about it, because we want to let uh, the communities know that this funding is available to them. And, you know, you're not on your own in terms of accessing it. Uh, we do have things in place where you can, um, you know, get technical assistance to actually access the funds. That's great. And I, I, I you know, makes me think of, um, you know, the ability, I think at times government has sort of the, the perception government, right, whether it's local, state, federal, uh, you name it, village, of uh, taking a long time to get anything done. I think one of the things that we've been most impressed with is 
uh, you know, working with 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 the region two and the EPA, your staff is the, the ability, uh, the quick turnaround, the con, you know, con, almost constant contact guidance when needed, and then making sure that the funding, you know, once awarded, is you're giving the the guidance that we need in order to move the project along, so that we can break ground and do things that that we need to do to get folks clean, safe drinking water as quickly as possible. So. Uh, you should be very proud of that, uh, you know, of that accomplishment. And I think uh, the folks listening to the podcast should should appreciate that, that you take this very seriously and you're really moving as quickly as you possibly can to help them get clean drinking water. Absolutely. Without these types of partnerships, we wouldn't be able to get it done. So, you know, kudos to you and to our our partners and, and those um, who are getting the word out about this important funding. I would add a note on um, available funding. I, we, we spoke about the SRF program, um, but in addition to the state revolving fund program, we also oversee various grant programs, including one that was recently established under the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, and that's the Emerging Contaminants in Small and Disadvantaged Communities Grant, which we refer to as, as the ECSDC grant for short. Um, and that grant, is investing $5 billion over five years to help communities with PFAS contamination to specifically reduce PFAS in drinking water. Um, we announced $84 million going to New York under this grant program earlier this year, and this is just for the first round of funding to help address um, PFAS. This funding is awarded directly to the states, and the states will be responsible for the project selections. Um, but 100% of these funds are provided to eligible entities as grants, and there's no state match requirement, which keeps the costs down for ratepayers and customers. Um, and also, in addition to this grant program, I'll also mention our Water Infrastructure Improvements for the Nation Act uh, grant program, which we refer to as the WIN Act grant program. Um, this also improves, helps to improve America's drinking water infrastructure and includes three grants, including um, the Small Underserved and Disadvantaged Communities Grant, which again goes back to that point of access for communities that have borne a disproportionate um, environmental burden. And this grant provides assistance to those underserved communities that either have no household drinking water services or are served by a public water system that violates Safe Drinking Water Act requirements. Um, we also have the, under this grant program, the WIN 2105 Reducing Lead in Drinking Water Grant, um, which is designed to facilitate reducing lead in drinking water in disadvantaged communities through infrastructure improvements um, or treatment improvements. And this grant can also be benefit um, facility remediation in schools and childcare centers. And finally, under this program, we have uh, the Voluntary School and Childcare Lead Testing and Reduction Grant. Um, which is also used to help local education agencies um, perform voluntary testing and to reduce lead in their drinking water. Um, so again, I, I mentioned earlier, all of these are grant programs. So 100% of this funding um, is awarded as grants. You mentioned earlier the funding that is available for emerging contaminants and specifically PFAS. EPA recently announced a new proposed national drinking water standard for PFAS of four parts per trillion. New York State has had PFAS standards of 10 parts per trillion since 2020. So the EPA proposal goes even further than that. Can you talk about the EPA's proposal and what it will mean for our customers? 
Sure. So I can help fill you in on uh, the PFAS front. As you mentioned, Jeff, we recently announced the first ever uh, proposed national primary drinking water regulation, which establishes legally enforceable limits for PFAS in drinking water nationally. Um, and for those tuning into your podcast, you may be wondering what are PFAS and why should I be concerned? Um, PFAS or per and polyfluoroalkyl substances are a category of manufactured chemicals. They're human-made, and they've been used in industry and consumer products like nonstick cookware, waterproof clothing, firefighting foam uh, since the 1940s. They were widely used because of their useful properties, including stain and water resistance, and because of their beneficial role in firefighting foam used to extinguish fuel fires. There's tens of thousands of different PFAS with a variety of chemical structures, um, and some have been more widely used and studied than others. But due to their widespread use, PFAS have been found in soil, water, fish, and air across the country and around the world. Um, recent studies by the Centers for Disease Control show that most people in the U.S. have been exposed to PFAS, including measurable levels of PFAS in human blood. And with, where there's exposure over long periods of time, and especially during critical life stages like during pregnancy or in developing babies, there may be negative health effects. So people can be exposed to PFAS in several different ways, um, but when their drinking water is contaminated with PFAS, it can be a significant portion of a person's total PFAS exposure. Which brings me back to where we started with the proposed drinking water regulation, um, which is a key step to protecting public health. EPA's proposed rule would regulate two PFAS compounds, which are PFOA and PFOS, as individual contaminants with a maximum contaminant level of four parts per trillion, as Jeff mentioned. Um, it would regulate four additional PFAS compounds as a PFAS mixture. But beyond that, the proposed rule would require public water systems to monitor for these PFAS compounds, to notify the public when they, where there are levels of PFAS in drinking water, to reduce the PFAS in drinking water if they exceed the proposed standards, um, and it would require additional testing so that we can continue to make regulatory determinations um, for other PFAS compounds. We expect that if fully implemented, this rule would prevent thousands of deaths and reduce tens of thousands of serious PFAS attributable illnesses. EPA is currently requesting public comment on the proposed rule through May 30th. We'll also be holding a public hearing on May 4th, where members of the public can register to attend and provide verbal comments on the proposed rule. Um, if you are interested in that May 4th hearing, we recommend that you register by April 28th. And of course, uh, in relation to our earlier discussion, the proposed PFAS drinking water rule, um, discussion of that drinking water rule would not be complete without also discussing the funding that's available to address PFAS compounds. We've begun distributing $10 billion in funding to address emerging contaminants, such as PFAS, under the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and $4 billion of that funding will be applied directly towards addressing PFAS contaminants in small and disadvantaged communities. Um, but while on the topic of PFAS, I think it's also worth mentioning um, that EPA is taking a number of additional actions to research, restrict, and remediate PFAS beyond the proposed drinking water rule. 
Our aim as an agency is to invest in scientific research to help fill gaps in our understanding of PFAS compounds and to prevent PFAS from entering the environment in the first place. We're also um, taking a number of actions to hold polluters accountable and to accelerate the cleanup of PFAS contamination. Um, and through all of this work, our aim is to ensure that disadvantaged communities have equitable access to solutions, um, which brings me back to my point about the available funding and the $4 billion that will be applied directly towards communities on the forefront of PFAS contamination, which are the small and disadvantaged communities. Well, that, that's certainly saying a lot. Um, and uh, you know, if you're unaware of PFAS and the impacts um, and you're listening, that's certainly, I think, you know, you might grab your seat and, and take a seat in your chair to listen and, and, and to sort of uh, fully understand the magnitude of what the EPA is proposing. Um, you know, we've certainly been living that life here in New York for, for several years now uh, since the state set the standards. And we have detections of PFAS, et cetera, um, at various levels at uh, many of our well fields. We have over 600 active drinking water wells. We pull water from an aquifer, and many of those wells has, have detections that would exceed the EPA's new regulation. So our goal, and it has been for the last several years and will continue to be, is to get um, granular activated carbon treatment in place to remove it before it gets out to the public. Uh, we've been successful in doing that, um, but with the new regulation uh, once put in place and, and, and effective would, would would increase that number of wells impacted by uh, maybe another 50 or 100 or so. Uh, so the, the financial assistance that the EPA can provide, it's going to be extremely important to our customers to ensure that we can keep rates as low as possible, but also comply with the new regulations. So thank, thank you, you all. Thank, thank you all so much. We'll be in thank touch. You. Thank we'll you. Touch. Thank you. What About Water is produced by Jeff Sabo, Theodore Ponte, and Tim Motes. If you enjoyed What About Water, be sure to rate us and to leave a review. Help spread the word by telling a friend and by following the Suffolk County Water Authority on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Jeff Sabo.